Good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? Everyone doing good? Everyone excited for the food truck? Oh, I am so excited. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gatter. And we've actually been in this sermon series for the last six weeks. And this is the last week. Who's been enjoying this series on the letter, the first letter of John? I've been absolutely loving it, digging into this letter, because there is so much gold in here that John wants us to actually understand. And so first, I'm just going to recap the first five weeks to just show us where we're at and what John was trying to do throughout this letter. So he starts with, we have seen, we have heard, we have touched. He's talking about, this is the Apostle John. This is the Apostle that actually walked with Jesus for over three years. And so what John's saying is, he goes, I'm writing you this letter about this Jesus that I actually saw with my own eyes that I heard with my own ears, and I actually reached out and touched. So what I'm saying is true. It comes from a true testimony of the person that I actually spent time with. And then he goes into this part about God is light, that there is no darkness in him at all, that there is no sin in God. And what that light does is it shines into the dark places of our hearts, and it reveals where we're not following God, where we're not following this command to love one another. And so it exposes the darkness. And then he starts talking about this world is passing away, all the lusts of the flesh, you know, our positions, our our pride, our, our possessions, all of these things, they're all passing away. But there's only one thing that actually remains, and that's God, it's a relationship with him. And then he spoke about that we are family, what we shared this morning in communion, talked about the fact that we are adopted into God's family. We become sons and daughters of the Most High God when we put our faith in Jesus. But therefore, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. And so we're actually meant to treat each other with love and respect as if we are proper family. And then last week, Beck shared with us that God is the spirit of truth. There were people trying to come into the church, trying to spend lies and deceit, saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And John's like, no, that's not true. What is actually true is I've seen him, I've felt him. Anyone who claims or who says that Jesus came in the flesh is from God. And so there is truth that we can stand firm on. And this week, we're going to be exploring God is love. What does that mean? What does that look like for us in our lives? So we're starting in 1 John 4, 7 to 12. He says, dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Before we get into this message, I'd love to pray. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that your word is truth. And that, Lord, you you spoke through the Apostle John when he wrote this letter. That you inspired this letter that's full of grace, full of truth, and full of love. So God, I pray that you would help me preach this message. 
the Lord, in the end, that they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I remember a few years back when I was a pastor at our Rabina campus, at our Rabina church, and there was about 10 or so pastors on staff there. It's quite a large church if you've not been there. And I was one of the pastors, and we were organizing an event. And our lead minister at the time, Stu Cameron, came to us. We had a meeting. He goes, we're going to have a leadership conference. And we're going to get out Craig Rochelle from the United States. And all the staff went, wow, that's awesome, Craig Rochelle. This is going to be amazing. And I was sitting there going, who the heck is Craig Rochelle? I had no idea who this guy was, right? And so I'm sitting there and everyone's going, this is going to be the best thing ever. And I'm like, who's Craig? And they all just looked at me with shock. Like, you can't be a Christian if you don't know Craig. It was almost like that, right? And I was like, seriously, I have no idea who this guy is. And so we were organizing this event. He was coming out to do this leadership conference. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and find out who this guy is. Now, this guy actually has a huge church in the United States. He does a leadership podcast where he gets leaders from all over the world to give us leadership tips on how we actually lead with diligence and love and in a Christian way. He also is the church that actually started the Version Bible app. It's the most um, prominent Bible app in the world today. Millions of people use this Bible app. And so I started to go to research this guy. I go to YouTube, start watching his sermons, start watching his leadership podcast. And he's this big, tall, good-looking bloke with massive guns, like he's super fit. And he's super confident. You know, Americans are really confident, you know. And he gets up and when he preaches, he yells at his people. And he yells at them. And he yells at them. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this guy. Like, I'm watching his stuff. I'm like, oh, it's a bit cringy to me. Like, he seems, like, overconfident. He seems like he's yelling at his people. Like, does he love them or is he just, like, yelling at them all the time? And, and so I formed in my mind who this Craig Rochelle guy was. And so we start working out this conference. And Stu starts giving all the different leaders at our church different jobs. And he says, Scott, your job is, when he turns up, you ought to meet him at the car and you ought to get him out the back safely. I'm like, oh, yeah, celebrity. What? Everyone's going to mob him, are they? <laughs> and so, like, that was my job. So I'm like, fine. So then end up, he turns up with a police escort and, um, <laughs> and I stand there. I'm like, here we go. And he opens the door and I go, hey, my name's Scott. And he's like, oh, Scott, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate your time. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm just going to walk you in. I'll take you out the back and we'll get you comfortable. He goes... Yeah, no worries. And as we're walking in, people are just like coming up to him. He's like, hey, how are you going? Asking their name, asking how their day is, being super nice. I'm like, you're not meant to be nice. <laughs> so we get to the front doors and we have Connect Team like we have here. And he goes up to the Connect Team. He's like, oh, thank you so much for serving us. I really appreciate you doing this for this event that I'm at. And just starts talking to them. So I end up taking him out the back. I'm like, is there anything you need? He goes, no, no, nothing at all. I'll let you know if there's anything I need. I just wanted to thank you for, for looking after me. I'm like... This is not okay. This is not the man that I expected <laughs> to come to this church. But here's the thing. My perception was wrong because I'd formed this image of who I thought Craig Grishel was in my mind, and what I'd done is I'd totally written him off as a person. But then I met him, and I got to know him, and I was wrong. He was something that I couldn't have actually imagined from my knowledge that I already had, my limited knowledge. And this is what we're exploring today, this idea that God is love. Whenever you are sitting here and you have a distorted view or distorted understanding of who God is, and you can't imagine 
that God is love, you've actually written God off. Because you look around the world at all the suffering and all the pain, and you think, he can't be love. Or you look at your own life, in the past of what you suffered, or what even you're suffering right now, and, and you're facing this, and you're wondering, well, well God, could God really be love? Because I'm not experiencing that right now. So therefore, we, we don't believe that God is love, and we see God in a different way that's actually true about him. Here is the truth. Our current situation or pain or suffering of the world, they're not a reflection of the love of God. The pain and the suffering of this world is a reflection of sin and the effects of sin on the world. God does not make us sin. We do a good job of that ourselves. We hurt one another. That is not a reflection of God's love. But God, out of his great love, he came to destroy the effects of sin, not only for humanity, but for the world, and set up a new kingdom, a kingdom that's actually dominated by love. So do we know the true nature of God today? Or like my thoughts of Craig Rochelle, do we have a distorted or an incorrect understanding of who God really is? Because John makes this defining statement. He says, God is love. But what, is, what does that even mean? This leads me to ask the question, how can God be love? Verse 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What does that even mean? I mean, it seems lovely, right? And Christians quote this verse all the time. It's right up there with John 3.16 as the most quoted verse in the Bible. Christians love to say, but God is love. But, but is it true? We quote it as Christians, but if someone was to ask you to explain it, could you explain why God is love? You see, theologians believe that this is who God is. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his defining attribute, which all of his being flows from. But how can God be loved then? This becomes like a, a philosophical question when we think about it. So we have to go right back before even the heavens or the earth or even creation came about to actually answer this. Because philosophically... For love to exist, there needs to be an object to love, right? Like, how would love exist if there's nothing to love? So did God, create, did God need to create us to have an object to love? Does God need us to express love? How did love exist prior to God creating all the different creatures, like angels or humanity or animals or all of creation? Is God's main attribute, who he really is, dependent on creation? If it is, we are not only the object of God's love, but we are the origin of the love of God. Therefore, this statement that God is love is not a statement of God's eternal character, which is a problem. It's a real problem. Because God has no beginning or end, he was not created, he's always existed for eternity. So therefore, if God has existed for eternity... And the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he never changes. There should have been love prior to any creation. So the next question is, how did love exist before creation? Well, we find the answer in the triune nature of our God. You see, we believe as Christians that we have one God in three persons. So God is one in essence, one in attribute, one in character and nature, God is love, but it's expressed in the three persons of the Trinity. 
So we know that God, the Father, loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. There has been this loving relationship within the Godhead for eternity. And the theological word that they've come up with for the three persons of the Trinity loving one another is perichresis. This word, perichresis, comes from the two Greek words peri, which means around, and korin, which actually means to give way or to make room, or could be translated a rotation or going around. It's this beautiful symbiotic relationship that they have. They express it in this divine dance or divine intimate relationship which each person of the Trinity leads but also gives way to the other in mutual respect and love. They're all co-eternal and they coexist. You see, there's been this love expressed in the Trinity for eternity. There's been a loving relationship with God in himself forever. Therefore, God is love with or without us. Grace teaches us, Phillips Brooks says, that God loves because of who God is, not because of who we are. God doesn't need us to be loved. He has been loved. He is love. He has always been love. It's been his central being of who he is. It's like my dog, Kira. It's a really crude illustration, but bear with me. My dog, Kira, she is unbelievable. You get home from being out and she just goes wild. She's like... She just can't help herself. She runs around in circles, jumps on you, and she just can't stop. She's just so excited you're home every single time. She just can't help it. It's who she is. If you go out the front for literally two minutes to take the rubbish out and talk to some neighbor and you come back in, she does exactly the same thing. It's like, Kira, I was literally just here. Relax. But she just can't help it, right? That is like an illustration, a crude one, but of the character and nature of God. God is love. He cannot not be love. It is who he is within himself. So when he creates, he creates from this central attribute of who he is, this perfect loving relationship within himself. And he wants to share his character and his nature with his new creation, with his creation. He wants to be in a loving relationship with you and with me. There is a problem, though. And the problem is in us, and it's actually in the world, and the problem is sin. You see, sin separates us from this perfect loving relationship with the Father. So what does God do with his eternal nature of love? How does he show us his love? What does he do about this in this fallen, sinful world? Well, John says and tells us in verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, because God is love, he's actually compelled to express that love to humanity. So how do we know God is love? It says he showed us. Our theology of who God is, is it's not a theory of the divine, but something God showed us in the natural world we live in. God was compelled by his nature to reveal who he was to the world, and he did that by sending Jesus. We don't have to guess what God is like and just think, oh, what are you like? He actually came in the flesh. We just need to look at the person and the work of Jesus to know what God is like. And we see perfect love in the life of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Jesus goes around and loves everyone he comes into contact with. He loved the poor. He loved the marginalized. He loved those who were sick. He loved those who had disease that everyone else fully rejected. He went and fed people. 
He even loved his enemies. Whenever they approached him, the ones that hated him, the ones that wanted to kill him, he would give them truth and he'd say, Father wants a relationship with you. If you don't believe me and don't believe my words, at least believe the works that I do. That I come to do the works of my Father and he wants a relationship with you, even the people that hated him. When we want to know who God is, we just need to look at Jesus. We got to experience one of the, one of, one of the persons of the Trinity in the flesh on earth. And we're showing God's character not only in the life of Jesus, but also in his death. You see, God's love is demonstrated that he entered the world and was willing to die on the cross for you. This is the gospel we celebrate here in communion this morning. That God loved us so much that he came in the form, in human form, took on human flesh, that he would come and speak directly to us that we wouldn't have to wonder who he was. He would tell us exactly who he was. And he showed us through his life, but he also showed us by going to the cross. He said, I love you so much that I will absorb the sin of the entire world and I'll go to the cross and I'll deal with that for you. That if you just simply put your faith and trust in me, you will be forgiven. That's how far I want to go to prove my love for you. And it wasn't only for us that received Christ. It's for his enemies. Those guys that beat him and scourged him, and nailed him to a tree. When he's up on that cross, he's looking out at those people, and he's saying, you are my enemies, you've destroyed me, you've killed me, you've murdered me, but if you repent and put your faith in me, you will be saved. That's the love of God on display in the cross. And I love it in verse 10. John says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. John is helping us grasp this true, pure love. It's not our love, not love that we demonstrate, but God's love demonstrated in Jesus. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. That is pure, heavenly, divine love. C.S. Lewis says, though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. I love this. We look at God's love and we go, oh, it must be like my love. But our love is imperfect, right? Like we get a new car and we love our new car. We love it. And then it breaks down and we hate it. All of a sudden we hate it. Or we love someone and we want to spend our life with them and we get married. Next thing we divorce and we hate them. We don't ever talk to them again. Or we look at the way that other people have treated us and people have hurt us. They've said that they love us but they don't and our love is fleeting and it's not perfect. So let's not degrade God's love his eternal pure love to our understanding or our experience of love. I think this is why we struggle to understand the love of God because our understanding of love has been distorted by sin. You see, true pure love, unconditional love is only found in God. True love is demonstrated through the Father sending the Son. The Son being obedient to even to the point of death and then the Holy Spirit not coming to be with us but actually live in us. This is how intimate God wants to be with you. You see, Jesus in the gospel shows us the depth and the lengths the love of God is willing to go for you and me. But why? Why would he go to those lengths? Verse 9 tells us that we might live through him. I really love this. It's not about just eternal life. It's not that we would just live forever, that we would live now. That Jesus wants to bring us life and life in all its fullness. And that can start now when we understand the love of God. 
This is true, is true life, is to know who God is and receive that love. And we only receive that through Jesus Christ. You see, when we understand that God's love, when we understand God's love, and we see that demonstrated for us on the cross, we're actually transformed in heart and mind. We're transformed by the Spirit to actually fulfill our purpose in life. So what is our purpose? John tells us in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When we grasp this concept and when we accept it, God's love is made complete in us in that it transforms us into his likeness to love one another. You see, we are empowered by love to love. It's like if you build a car. It could take you months and months and months, right? You build this car, you get it all going, and then you try and crank it over and nothing happens. You're like, stupid car, won't work. Have you put the fuel in it? Oh, no, I haven't put the fuel in it, right? You've got to put fuel in the car to make it work so it would actually do what it's created to do. That's like many Christians. These are Christians without the understanding of the love of God. We don't have the fuel that actually drives us to love one another. We need the fuel to be able to love one another well. C.S. Lewis says, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just as a roof of a sun house does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. This is what C.S. Lewis is saying. If we don't allow God's love to shine on us and through us, we are unable to love. That is the fuel that we need. We need the understanding of God's love. We love each other not because we're good, but because God is good. And we are that sunroof allowing God's love to throw through us to the world. The problem is, God is love, has been abused to justify all kinds of things, all kinds of evil, even in the church. We don't call out sin because, oh, that's not loving. Or they can do whatever they want because God's love, he doesn't care. And so we just go on sinning. But John clarifies what it means to understand that God is love and how we actually live that out in our lives. Because God is love, it doesn't mean we can do whatever we want, that there is no consequences for our sin or our actions. You see, true love hates evil. True love hates injustice. True love confronts sin. And true love doesn't hurt others. And God's love, loving God, is lived out in obedience. And we are a reflection of that on earth now. So he says, this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome. I love how straightforward John is. He seems like my kind of guy. He's like, hey, in fact, this is love for God, that we keep his commands. Like, Do we understand that? If we understand the love of God, we will keep his commands because that means we're loving others. What are the two greatest commandments that Jesus spoke about in the Gospels? He said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in these two commands. And if we truly love God, then we will be following those commands. And what we're actually doing is when we're actually doing that, when we're being obedient and being obedient to God's commands, we're reflecting the character and the nature of our triune God. 
Genesis says we are made in the Imago Dei, which is the image of God. In the beginning, we were made in the image of God. We are actually created to love. That's why we feel at peace and we feel best and we feel good when we actually love people. I'm not created to be self-centered. I was created for relationship with God and with others. And when I'm in a loving relationship with God and others, I'm living out my created purpose. If you're asking, what's the point of life? What's my purpose? You are made in the image of God. And you're created to love God and be in loving relationship with him and with others. That's why John says that it's not burdensome. If we're created to love and we're created in the image of God who has been in this loving relationship for all eternity within himself, then love shouldn't be a burden. Love should feel natural to us. But we all know what burdens are, right? Like sin is a burden. Hate is a burden. Unforgiveness, bitterness. They're all burdens that we carry that rob us of peace in our life. If you want peace in your life, then love God and love others, and I guarantee you'll have internal peace. It'll be an internal thing that you have. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect and others will love you perfectly. That's just not the case. You will face struggles, but if you live your life to do everything you can to love and not hate, then you'll have an internal peace that passes this worldly understanding. You'll actually find people asking you the question, why are you so peaceful? Why are you so loving with all the issues going on in life? And you will know it's because you understand the love of God and it's in you and it's actually flowing through you. 1 Peter says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. What he's saying is our lives should be so different in all of these situations that people would actually ask us why. Why do you have love? You could exchange that word there, hope, for love. Why do you have love? Why do you have hope in this Christ? And we need to be prepared to give an answer for that love that's in us when everyone else is feeling hopeless. And that love of God will actually carry you through through all these different things that you'll face in life, regardless of what you face. If you know the love of God, he'll carry you through it. In verse 17, he says, In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love how he starts, In this world, we are like Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? He came to reveal the character and nature of God. He came to reveal the love of God in his life, but also in his death. And now we, being filled with the Holy Spirit, we are meant to be that vehicle now that the world may see the difference, that they would see love and grace and mercy in us and turn and give him glory. And if we know God's love, then it takes away all the fear out of our lives. Like if we're fearing that God hates us or doesn't like us or those situations that I'm facing right now is because God doesn't love me, if that's what I'm thinking, there's fear in that. But if I know that God is love, then it takes away all the fear. Because there is no fear in love. And it takes away fear on the day of judgment. That if we know God loves us, we know what Jesus did here when he was on the cross and he said, it is done. If we believe that, that we know one day when we stand before the Lord, we'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That our sins would be totally forgiven. So in learning all this, how do we love practically? 
Well, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he gives us a guide of the love of God and how we're actually meant to live that out. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, this is one of the most common verses read at every wedding. But it's not just for marriage. This is how we are meant to live our lives. If you want to know how to love or what to do in any situation, go to this verse. And if you can show me in this portion of text where it even suggests that love gives us a right to sin or do whatever we want or to be selfish or to focus on our own desires, it's not there because love is not self-seeking. Love is not selfish. It's always outward-focused. That's the love of God, always outward-focused. If you read the entire Bible, it's a story about God's focus outwards to show his love and his mercy and his grace, and that culminates in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if we know all this, the question we must ask ourselves, where are we manifesting the love of God in our lives? Are we a skyline? In this world, allowing God's love to shine through us in every situation? Because this is what John's boiling Christianity down to. This one word, love. To know how to love, we need to know perfect love. God is love. And so what is this portion of text telling us? It says, God is love. He has been love for eternity past within himself. God doesn't need us to be loved. That's who he is. And the way he expressed that love to humanity is by sending his son. That we don't have to wonder who he is. We just need to look at the person and the work of Jesus to see the love of God manifest. And then we just need to look at the cross to see how far God would go to prove his love for you and for me. And what does that mean for us? If we are transformed by the love of God in our hearts, we're actually created. We're created in the image of God. We're meant to be image bearers of God. We're meant to bear the image of God of this loving relationship with each other to show the world that there is a different way to live. The whole point of this letter is love. You know, in the Bible, about 570 times the word love is used, depending on your translation. In this letter of 1 John, Love is used 50 times. That's nearly, 50, that's nearly 10% of the entire Bible that the word love is used in this one little letter. And this one little letter of 1 John is only 0.3% of the Bible. It's one third of a percent of the entire Bible, but he uses love 10% of the time. I wonder what he wants us to know. I wonder what he's trying to tell us. If we take one thing away from this series in 1 John, it has to be love. God's love for humanity and how we're meant to actually love one another. You see, love is the answer to all of life. Love is the answer to sin. Love is the answer to our longing for life and life in all its fullness. And pure love lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit. Because love is God and God is love. The question is, do you really know him today? Do you really know him? Would you join me in prayer?
Father, we come before you are broken by sin. And we've experienced love that, that hasn't been perfect. And Lord, sometimes we reflect that onto you. But Lord, would you forgive us of that? But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just come even now. Come Holy Spirit. We sense your peace, your grace, and your love. Father, would your love descend upon this place? People would know there is one person that we can trust, and that is you. Come, Holy Spirit. Change our hearts and our minds. Give us a glimpse of the wonder and the majesty and the depth of your love. That, Lord, we would be able to love one another well. And in this moment of prayer, you might be sitting there and, and you've never accepted that love of God. You didn't know that, that he came and died for you. And God is extending his hand. He's saying, there's nothing you need to do. I'm compelled by love to extend a hand to you. I've done everything needed. I came and died on the cross to deal with the problem of sin that separated us. And I just want a relationship with you. And because God is love, he's not going to force you. He extends his hand. So if that's you today and you want to receive the love of God, you can just simply you know, put your hands out on your lap or just turn your palms up to, to receive. It's like receiving a gift because grace is a gift from God. And you can just simply pray this prayer in your heart with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. Thank you that Jesus died for me. I thank you that you forgive me of sin. So Lord, I repent. I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you that Jesus died and rose again in victory over sin for me. And I ask for your Holy Spirit that I would have life and life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all like to stand with me? We're going to sing a song and it talks about surrender. You see, before we can receive the love of God, we actually need to surrender. We need to say, I don't know what true love is, but I'm open. I'm open to your love, God. I'm open to your love to come and transform me. So would we as a church surrender to our Lord today to receive that love that we might be loved?